1: Oh, <laughs> my
2: Just a, like an echo, I want you to assume, George, that I'm in a vast, primal wilderness, right? And uh, and it is the echoing sound of uh, unfriendly animals.
0: Oh! 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 Oh!
2: Okay, let's turn it again. Too much. Too much that sounds too electronic that's just sound just like uh, it is echoing throughout the uh, uh, the granite halls of a castle in Transylvania and uh, a Dracula has just made another score right okay that's not bad, not bad. of course uh, uh, electronics have a certain uh, a certain uh, drawbacks but He uh, just simply doesn't come up to the original castle wall. <laughs> no way. Uh, i just practicing here. I, I met a guy the other day who... Uh, the reason I'm practicing, you know, I, I recognize that there are certain talents that are highly recognized in uh, major uh, talent recognition circles. We always recognize people for uh, conventional talents like uh, dancing, like uh, singing, uh writing, Uh, these are conventional uh, talents, you see, but some of the great talents that I've met in my time are people who did none of those things, they did not dance, they did not sing, they did not uh, play the piano, Uh, they did uh, very special things, Uh, for example, uh, all of us in our time, especially if you're a male, have met great spitters, I mean, the guy who could spit, I mean, man, he could could just lay it out, you ever ever met a great, uh, fantastic accuracy and distance? In fact, I'll ask you a bit of trivia here, uh, if you don't mind a little trivia there. Of course, uh, most people's lives are made up of trivia. <laughs> Hi, George. Uh, <laughs> Shepard, you start getting personal. However, uh, <laughs> that's too close to the truth. But uh, the, uh, the, the the scene that I'm referring to, a scene in a movie, what movie had a scene in which a two guys, and they were surrounded by others who were watching them. Had a spitting contest for accuracy. Yeah, one guy, one guy said. Uh, in fact, they were they were they were squatting in a very. If I tell you the, the, the area they were sitting in, that would give you a clue. They were sitting in a shell hole. You've seen pictures and movies of shell holes. It was in a shell hole. So these guys are squatting in a shell hole in the middle of a fantastic bombardment that was going on, an artillery barrage was echoing over them and a uh, fantastic the bombardment was going on and one guy sat uh, was in the middle of all this, see and I'll give you a clue I saw this movie at the Museum of Modern Art so you, you can you can estimate that what kind of a movie, it's a very official type movie and uh, uh, it was the kind of thing you would never see in a contemporary movie because contemporary movies tend to stay away from the real thing people really do. <laughs> they do. But the earlier movies tend to concentrate on the things that people really do. And so these guys were sitting in the middle of this of this bombardment. Pow, pow, our shells were going up. And uh, one guy, uh, he just went like that, boom, and he zapped. Uh, he he shot a he shot a watch like that. At which point, somebody else made a comment, and the next thing you know, there was a demonstration of of fantastic expectoration accuracy. Expectoring, <laughs> uh And, uh, and one of them one of them took a uh, took a took a, a knife and made a target on the side of the shell hole. You know, there's uh, just. In the dirt, and he went pow, zap, right in the middle of it, and uh, it was a great excitement. And the entire scene was based on that, that particular moment. And this was considered a great scene in this movie. Now, what, what was the movie? Okay. Now I'm not even a movie buff. Why, why does this? Uh, so, uh, uh, and if you're curious, why I happen to see it in the Museum of Modern Art was that. Uh, uh, one of the things that people who are out of work in New York do if they're in a certain, uh, you might say, artistic area of life, you know, actors and on, When they're out of work, when they've got nothing to do, many of them in the afternoon hang around the Museum of Modern Art. If you want to see 500 out-of-work actors, anytime you care to see it, go to the Museum of Modern Art any afternoon. <laughs> You'll find them wandering around, try, usually trying to pick up uh, uh, people, persons of the opposite sex. And uh, it's often very uh, very effective over there. And uh, I used to spend a great deal of time there. And uh, so I know where I speak. And you go through the uh, cafeteria line there, and a lot of things can happen there. And uh, so uh, I happened to have a this free ticket one afternoon. I went to see this movie. I had no interest at all in the movie. It was a great place to go because a lot of other people were there that looked kind of interesting to me. And I sat there, and this great big scene occurred. What was the movie? Who was the hero of it? See, I think when uh, you, you know, speaking of trivia, did you see the uh, the newest stamps? Uh, the the new series of stamps. Did you know that they have a, a Tom Sawyer stamp now? Uh, that means a whole new area of of, of stamps. Uh, stamps have opened up now. The aesthetic stamp. There was a time when uh, when only presidents, usually dead presidents, were on the stamps. In fact, I think there's a congressional. Uh, rule about that that so you cannot be on a stamp unless you are no longer with it. Did you know that? And that's right. Uh unless it's um, I don't know, there there there, uh, there are probably a lot of regulations. I'll be deluged with stamp collectors writings <laughs> on this, but nevertheless there's a so you know here's Tom Sawyer and what is he doing? He's painting a fence. You know, the classic scene out of Tom Sawyer, if you ever read the book. Well this opens up fantastic. Can you imagine What's uh, why only people like Tom Sawyer? Why not say, for example, uh, um, Moby Dick uh, is, is seen snorting and blowing water, and the spread eagled on Moby Dick, trailing busted harpoons, is Captain Ahab. That would be kind of a groovy stamp. Uh, <laughs> another one, uh, oh, I can think of a lot of them. I can think of uh, what's to prevent, uh, say, Holden Caulfield uh, wearing his red baseball cap, looking bug. Uh, you know, great. Uh, uh, I could see the day uh, when a stamp has on it uh, Schwartz or, or Ludlow Kissel. Great moments uh, in, in God We Trust. Ludlow Kissel is being blown up by his famous uh, uh, Fourth of July real blockbuster aerial bomb. And there it is in uh, eight colors. It's a seven cent uh, domestic stamp. <laughs> yeah, I just I can just imagine what Mark Twain would say. If he saw uh, a Tom Sawyer stamp, you know, he, he grew to hate that book. You realize that, don't you? In fact, he would not even discuss Tom Sawyer in his later years. He refused to even talk about it. And uh, so you know, these are all problems that the, a writer has to face. One day he's liable to find his characters on a stamp looking nothing like he envisioned his characters and certainly nothing like the situation in which they were found in the book, but very romanticized. And so uh, I can see, oh, or even a better step would be Ishmael. Ishmael, you know, out of, uh, out of Moby Dick, Ishmael. Uh, he's the eye in the book. And he said, opens, opens up the book and he says, Call me Ishmael. And I can see Ishmael floating uh, in this wreckage. And uh, there it is. You see all these waves and the wreckage is all around him. The Pequot has just been destroyed by this great white whale. And here is Ishmael floating and his uh, eyeballs are bugging out, you know, and his tongue is hanging out, and underneath it it says, moments after the peacock sank, Ishmael, uh, floating in the wreckage. A great stamp, dramatic stamp. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, these, uh, these stamps, uh, it opens up a whole new area now. Speaking of an area of trivia, if I may uh, get into this, I'm not a trivia fan, but uh, I... Uh, I, I, I suppose bear a certain uh, responsibility for this whole thing because uh, a few years back uh, before the phrase was even popularized I was referring to trivia as the things by which our lives are led. The average klutz can tell you more about let's say the, uh, the life history of uh, let's say for example just take an example of uh, Charlie Schultz's character's Peanuts than he can his own family. So naturally Trivia is uh, is the way it is. The average person can tell you more about uh, uh, the attitudes of Walter Cronkite than he can uh, his own uh, nephew. Uh, so trivia is what really controls our lives. It isn't just part of our lives. It controls it. You know, it's trivia. So uh, I'm, uh, the other day I'm in this, this rotten old bookstore down on 4th Avenue, which is where all the old rotten old bookstores are, downtown, down around 14th Street. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, you know where that is. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff down there, Seeming, And uh, they, they sell, it's the only place where they're honest about books. They sell them by the pound. Uh, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the place where a, a giant, uh, big, fat, overblown uh, doorstop type book by, say, Jacqueline Suzanne is, in effect, worth more than, say, uh, The Red Badge of Courage, which is a very thin novel, but admittedly a classic. But it doesn't weigh as much. So in a place where you buy your books by the pound, the fatter the book, the more valuable the book. And so you'll find a lot of these real terrible-looking, real awful books that are unreadable, but they're more expensive because they they weigh more than the tiny classics, <laughs> which often are thin. So I was down there knee-deep in all these old books and just walking around and, think, and uh, they had bushel baskets full of old magazines, thousands of old magazines just piled up there you could find buy by like seven cents a pound Uh, Now I don't know how this guy arrived at these these uh, these prices. You see, it's not like uh, you know that there's a a federal subsidy for the you know for plowing under certain numbers of books. Wouldn't it be great if the publishing world finally, because it's always so in trouble financially, got a deal like the farmers and they received say four hundred thousand dollars for every book not published. So uh, (laughs) they. uh, (laughs) Not a bad idea, come to think of it, because there's a lot of books that uh, I wonder. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, I could just see this publisher. uh, uh, He's he's got... I realize the farmer has large numbers of acres that are never put into production. He is paid not to produce. So I can just see that's called subsidies. You know, I could just see the publisher, funny, he's up against the wall because there's 40 trillion books published a year. And finally, the publishing lobby... Finally gets through to Congress and says, "It's either that, or the publishing business goes out of business. We got to have federal subsidies." And so, uh, Senator Claghorn, and uh, Senator Bullard, gets up and he delivers a ringing address uh, on the on the floor of Congress. Give me a little echo chamber. This sounds like the Hall of Congress, fellow legislators, Speaker of the House, President
0: of the Pro Tem Senate Committee on Investigating Subsidies to the publishing industry. I take this time now to address myself for the congressional record and for my constituents. There is a great and important industry in these United States which is slowly beginning to go under due to the influx of the technological revolution of which we are all victims Today I speak to you on behalf of the small, the important, the culturally significant publisher who today is suffering from the technological revolution. America is producing a generation of illiterates. Thousands of children cannot read and are proud of the fact. Millions of Americans are proud that their son knows the star of every movie produced within the past 15 years and has won prizes on television with that knowledge. And I say to you that in centuries to come, America will be judged on the quality of its literary Writers, publishers, and creators who will remain long after Johnny Carson is forgotten. And are we doing anything about it? I say to you, no! This is a national disaster. Thousands of publishers are going under every year. And I say, if we can give vast subsidies to razors of big hawks, drop we can give a modicum of subsidy aid to those publishers who today stand on the threshold of extinction. I recommend a bill wherein a publisher is awarded a certain federal grant for the number of books he does not publish in a year because many publishers are forced to publish second-rate diet books memoirs of people named Phyllis Diller merely to subsist and what happens to the Stephen Crane what happens to the Thomas Oops, Oops, the Herman Melvilles of our time, they have to wind up selling used cars in Cleveland to subsist on what they can wrest from a society that cares not for right writers. How long has it been since you have seen a serious novelist on the Mike Douglas show? Well, I say never. But you will will see see endless David David Rubin, Rubin, who tell tell you the 47,000 variations of sexual positions one can attain if one studies this bit of clap crap. So I say today, to save the publisher from extinction, federal subsidies are necessary. They do not wish to publish this sort of intellectual cabbage. But they are forced forced to. to. So So I I say, say, let let us give them them federal federal subsidies, awarding them them. for the number of books they they do do not publish. publish. So I wish this to be written written into the congressional congressional record. And I thank you for your forbearance. forbearance. And now I I yield the floor to the distinguished. Senator and my colleague from the state of Illinois, who wishes to address you on some other insignificant topic.
2: That's yeah, not bad. This is WOR New York. Do you have a little money-making ding-dong, please? You do not? Well, stick it in the machine and hit the button and let's go.
0: My friend bought a Mazda, then he dropped out of sight, so he wrote me a letter to tell of his flight. He said, when you're driving, Mazda makes you smile, so smooth and quiet you go mile after mile. Piston engine goes. But the Mazda goes. You stand on the throttle, the engine comes alive, you fly down the highway in super drive. It's built to travel. Hour after hour, you just cruise in comfort with rotary power. an engine goes. But the Mazda goes. Well, I chose the bar that's left my soul. Before I knew it, I was passing the North Don't you worry about my Mazda
2: getting off the track. I'm on a cruise through Europe before I come back. Yes, sir. Just an engine goes... But the Mazda goes... Yeah, go for a cruise in a Mazda. Visit one of the 28 Mazda dealers in the greater New York area for a test drive. Say, uh... I have another little bit. How about the prosies here? You got prosies? Isn't prosy what a bad writer writes? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, here we have a uh, prosies. Yes. Uh, uh, according to the copy, it says we understand that a great many of our W O R friends took a recommendation we made and visited Prosies Army Navy Store in Hackensack, in North Arlington, New Jersey. That's the family store that's been in business since 1923 and they're celebrating their 50th anniversary and they like you to join the big celebration. They have a tremendous collection of uh casual clothes, western stuff, you know, army navy type stuff, work clothes, sportswear. And now through Saturday they're selling the famous Converse All Star, that's Converse. It's badly written here, it's not Converse, it's Converse, right? All Star sneakers for 799, which is considerably below what they usually sell for. The stock of shirts and pants at Prozies, like the footwear, is made up of the lowest possible prices of the best-known successful brands. Quality merchandise, the lowest possible price. Kept Prozies in business for the past 50 years. That's a great store just to walk around in, pick your teeth. The Prozies store in North Arlington is at 35 Ridge Road, and Prozies in Hackensack is at 121 Main Street. And uh, they'll treat you like a customer again, which, of course, you'll have to go through a cultural shock but they will. It's a nice place to shop. Prozies. Now, let's see. We have prosies, We've done Mazda. And how about Alexis Lachine? Uh, what, is a Lex- what is a Alexis Lachine? Is an Alexis Lachine a new computer? A Chinese way of saying machine? No. Alexis Lachine? No. It's uh, the Alexis Lachine Corporation, a group of people, and uh, headed by a gentleman, who bring in great French wine. And if you're confused about how to buy a good wine you don't know, you know all those, all those uh, names and labels and stuff, you can be assured of getting a good wine at a price you can afford by asking for Alexis Lachine. They import several different types of wines, and among them they have uh, a good rosé, they have a good Beaujolais. They have good, good wines, as a matter of fact, mellow, balanced, delicate, and uh, these are excellent French wines. In fact, uh, the Alexis Lachine, they, they want to talk about the rosé, comes from Anjou, which is where the best roses come from. And it's a fine French rose, Alexis Lachine, in a beautiful bottle at a great price. Imported by Bass Charrington, Vintners of New York. The only thing you have to know about French wines, good French wines, is the name, Alexis Lachine. Uh, just says, uh, you have to say it with the proper accent. Uh, please, Alexis Lachine, please. <laughs> Alexa, 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 Alexa,
0: Alexa,
2: <laughs> okay, And uh, here's uh, another goodie. This is one of my favorite ones. It's uh, when I say favorite, why is it commercial? It's also one of my favorite uh, Chinese restaurants in the town. I've gone there for a long time personally. I've had some traumatic moments once at, at the bar there. But uh, it's a great restaurant, and it's the House of Chan. They've been there for a long time, 35 years. Any guy can can sell uh, Chinese food in New York for 35 years, he's doing the right thing with the wonton. That's right. And uh, Mr. Chan is one of the better ones around, and his house is great. It's the House of Chan. It's a nice restaurant. It's at 52nd and 7th, 7th Avenue, that is, of course and 52nd is a street, which means they're right near and, in fact, part of the theater district, right in the heart of the whole thing. And uh, he's been fighting the uh, beef problems in America these days, and Mr. Chen will reduce by as much as 30%, and has reduced, the prices of all chicken dishes. Now, that's a lot, friend, in a Chinese restaurant because uh, there are 117 ways of preparing chicken so you can go there for 117 consecutive days, not eat a single bit of beef, and not eat the same thing twice. <laughs> That's something. And they're all on the menu, and they're all great. That's the House of Chan, open seven days a week till midnight, and uh, they have luncheons there and dinners, and they have a fine bar. That's the House of Chan, 52nd and 7th,
1: an elegant Chinese restaurant. Now, one more. Hit it. Hey, guess it was in here yesterday. Doc Oglethorpe, the psychiatrist. Yeah, and when I go to take his order, he says, Connor, I think I'm going nuts. Four nights now, I've been having the same dream, and I can't figure out what it means. Well, now I can see this is serious. So I say, Do You want to tell me about it? And he says, Well, it's a weird dream, Connor. All very strange. I have the feeling I'm made out of glass. I'm very cold. And I seem to have three rings tattooed on my stomach. And I say, Doc, I might be all wet. But it sounds to me like you dreamt you were a bottle of Valentine beer. And those three rings were for purity, body, and flavor. Why, he says a bottle of Valentine beer? That's stupid. That's dumb. But wait a minute. That would explain how come in the dream I had to unscrew my hat. So just like that, Doc's all cheerful again. And he orders around a Valentine for everybody in the place. Some world, huh? Hey, let me get you another Valentine. I'm a house. Hey, it's Valentine
2: uh, Bach beer time again. It's spring, you know. Bach beer is available. Valentine uh, Falstaff Brewing Corporation of St. Louis, colorful, beautiful St. Louis, Missouri, and other cities. Hey, uh, you know, uh, speaking of this, uh, <laughs> this business of, uh, of trivia and going down uh, down to the store, The reason I brought this up right from the start is, is you know, when you ever people tend to think in terms of uh, of uh, blocks. Uh, uh, when you hear about pulp magazines for example everybody talks about pulp westerns and they talk about uh, pulp detective stories but uh, the reason that I'm bringing this up I discovered a whole pile of of, uh, of old magazines and I bought it incidentally if you're curious for six cents I bought a uh, a pulp magazine did you ever see a real pulp magazine here it is this is a real pulp magazine and uh there it is. You can see it's even pulp. <laughs> it really is. The paper is yellow, and it's pretty-looking paper. That's why they called it pulp. And, uh, and uh, apparently, at one time in American history, one of the great-selling pulp magazines areas, uh, the, the classification of pulp magazines, was the railroad magazine. I never, You know, I didn't know anybody ever read Railroad Magazine, but apparently that was a big deal. There was a pulp magazine based nothing about, but about railroads. Now, I know immediately I'm going to be deluged with a lot of guys who are going to say, why don't you come and visit our railroad museum? And I'm like, I have no interest in railroads. So please don't uh, assume that Shepherd is a railroad buff. I am not. Uh, anybody who has lived within a half mile of a major freight switchyard has no love for railroads. And I grew up, uh, the the house that I lived in throughout most of my early teen years and so on was about a half mile from a switching yard. And I want to tell you, the people who lived for miles around that area hated the (laughs) railroad. Because for one thing, all night long, you'd hear, boom, boom. They're banging these cars back and forth, you know, when they're switching. Ding here! Ding, 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 boom,
0: boom, 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 ding, 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 ding,
2: ding, 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 boom, 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 boom. All he says, "Oh man!" And and I want to tell you another thing. The crud that would come drifting down out of the sky from that switch freight yard, you wouldn't believe. Diesel. You know what kind of smoke diesel smoke is? You can slice it. In fact, you can make sandwich out of diesel smoke (laughs) if you want to. You can just grab it out of the air and paint it on your house if you want to paint your house black. But uh, the point is, I have no love for railroads. I I was uh, constantly around uh, railroads, noise. Guys in our neighborhood, there was at least five guys that lived in our neighborhood who were walking around with a wooden leg, due to the fact that they worked in the roundhouse and one day they got banged in between two train cars and that was it. So so I think the only people who are who are sentimental about railroads are the only people who never had a great deal to do with them. Just like people sentimentalize crime, you know, they, they, they think it's a groovy thing, <laughs> haven't seen much of it. Uh, we, we live with a lot of people that sentimentalize stuff like that and uh, they, they really don't know the real life of it. So, nevertheless, don't deluge me with letters about the railroads. I'm just fascinated by this, this, this railroad magazine, and apparently the railroads were such a big thing. Let me see when this one was published. I'll look at the date on it here. Oh, here it is. September 1937, volume XX11, number 4, 15 cents. It's called Railroad Magazine, and it shows a guy standing on a freight car the cover of it shows him see him standing on a freight car and he's apparently a switchman or something and you see this long line of freight ahead of him and they're going past the lake somewhere out in the west you see mountains on all sides of them and it looks like it's, it's either dawn or sunrise and he's a switchman or something he's wearing this crummy old uh, he looked like a cowboy actually but there he is out in the west he's a switchman and so I, I, I looked at this thing and I said hey that's a great area Of of trivia. Did you know here on page 36 is an ad for Listerine shaving cream? I didn't know that Listerine (laughs) made a shaving cream. Did you know that? Listerine shaving cream. And it says, get a painless shave, 10 cents. A tube of Listerine. They'll send you a a tube, a a, a sample tube. And it says, uh, to get you to try Listerine shaving cream, we make this unusual bargain offer. Used razor blade container. Of genuine porcelain designed by Esquire magazine sculptor Sam Berman. Well, but that's worth a lot on the shaving, on the uh, trivia world today. A a, a used shaving uh, razor blade container designed by a sculptor. It says uh, they'll send it to you for 10 cents. Also, a 20 day trial tube of Listerine shaving cream. This does not even cover the cost of packing and mailing. And uh, we'll send it to you the tw- the giant tube show you what kind of uh, of uh, inflation is it is the giant tube which is good for 104 shaves says the giant tube of listerine shaving cream is just 25 cents uh, for 25 cents today you can't even buy a good stamp <laughs> it's a mail a letter nevertheless uh, there it is so I'm looking at this see and what is in the railroad magazine there's all kinds of stories with with totally uh, incomprehensible terms. I think it's almost impossible to read one of these magazines today. You'd have to, because it's completely inbred. You have to know, well, all right, listen to this now. I'll, I'll read to you a poem that is in the this issue. It's uh, They have a, a joke section called The Sunny Side of the Track. Okay? Uh, all right, listen to this. Give me a little of train music in the background there, if you will. Oh yeah, there's there's that's that's a that's, a, that's a, a record of a train in West Virginia. It is. It's an authentic record of a train in West Virginia. I will read to you a poem from this pulp magazine called At Dawn. It says, "Time and trials have grayed my temples." Fiery fevers slowed the flow of the blood the hogback quickened in the years of long ago. The hogback. What is a hogback? That's some kind of train or something. Ah, those years have fled forever. All those thrills forever gone when the coffee pot was boiling and the hogback passed the dawn. In the shadows of pagodas, when the eastern sun bursts red from an alien ocean's bosom where adventure's path has led, now I stand no more in wonder. Seek in foreign land no more for a glamour and a romance that in boyhood passed my door. Down the grade she came, a rumblin', with her fifty cars or more bringing dreams of fame and fortune on some distant exotic shore. Now I've wandered, far and wandering watch the empty years roll on not a thrill to me transporting like the hogback brought at dawn now do you want to hear some of their jokes just keep it there in the background. now what what is a hogback I don't know what a hogback is <laughs>
1: that's,
2: a, that's a railroad term. listen to this one Here's a joke from the sunny side of the track. A tough looking boomer switchman opened the division superintendent's door marked private, without the formality of knocking. He faced a super just as tough looking. I was just in to see the General Yardmaster, said the boomer. And he ain't there, so the assistant yard the assistant yardlets tell me he needs snakes. By the way, they have a little footnote. You know what a snake is? A switchman. It says, uh, the assistant tells me he needs snakes, but he ain't got the authority to hire, so can you fix me up to go to work? I don't know as if I'd care to hire you, replied the tough super. Well, why not? You need switchmen, that's what I am. Well, to be perfectly frank, the official explained, I don't like your looks. The boomer squared off and gave the super the once-over. Well... I'd like to see the blind son of a biscuit that hired you. <laughs> Obviously, this was before unions. <laughs> now, that's called a joke. You want to hear another one? This is called detailed information. Now, I don't know what a boomer is, but they keep referring to boomers. It says, while a boomer was making a move with an engine and some Pullman cars, the super stepped up and looked around inquisitively. What do you got all of there? He inquired. Cars was the brief reply. "'Cars!
0: "'What's in them?'
2: referring to the passengers.
0: "'Seats!'
2: answered the boomer. The super, realizing he was making no headway, looked at a Pullman line number in a window and asked, "'What's that in a window?' "'Blast!' said the boomer. "'You win!' growled the disgusted official and walked away. "'Is that funny?' (laughs) "'Not to me!' But that's, uh, that, that, that's railroad humor, apparently. Here's one called His First Pullman Ride. A sailor making his first ride in a pullman struck up an acquaintance in the smoking compartment. The two men went to bed at the same time, the sailor in the lower berth, his companion in the upper. The man in the upper, hearing a commotion below, leaned out between the curtains and called out to the sailor, Hey, what's the matter, Admiral? Okay down here? Not quite, came the reply. I got my duds off all right, but I'll be darned if I can get into this little hammock. Well, now, do you see what the humor is? In, in Pullman cars, they had a little hammock to put your clothes in. Being a sailor, he assumed that's what you slept in. Oh, do I have to explain it? <laughs> oh, man, that's a bad joke. You want to hear another railroad joke? This is called Shower Bath for Passengers. One day, a mixed train on the old O.R. and W... Held the hell's the O, R, and W? One day, a mixed train on the old O, R, and W, by the way, a mixed train means a train that has both passenger cars and freight cars in it. One day, a mixed train on the old O, R, and W picked up a car of hogs at a way station with instructions to water them at the first tank. The train had a baggage car and two coaches on the rear and five box cars on the stock car way up ahead. It was very warm. And most of the passengers on the coaches had their windows raised. By the way, this is a, in the sunny side of the street, I explained to you that this is not only a joke page, but it's also a little page of true stories of things that happened on the railroad. So you got this. These people are all sitting in the train. It's hot. And uh, they had their windows open. And up ahead is a, is a carload of hogs. For some reason, the engine crew mistook their signals. The brakeman pulled the spout back on the water tank and opened the valve to let the water run into the stock car as it was pulled slowly by the tank. The hogs were watered all right, but the train kept right on moving. The water valve stuck, the brakeman couldn't shut it off, On went the train, and as the coaches went by, they were drenched with a fantastic deluge (laughs) of lukewarm green water through the open windows. The railroad company bought nearly the entire stock of a ladies' wearing apparel store to replace the soiled dresses of women passengers. That's from Williamstown, West Virginia. (laughs) Well, uh, uh, well, thank you. you. Uh, uh, Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not. uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, here to uh, to belabor you with uh, this uh, this trivia stuff. But it's fascinating how how a whole thing will will disappear completely and it's gone. Look look at the ad on the back, by the way. Do You recognize who that is? I'll, I'll hold it. You recognize who this guy is? Oh, that's right. On the back of it is a is a color you know four color ad on the back of the uh, the magazine. And it's uh and there looking uh looking like he's about twelve or something, with a jazzy little sailor hat on, is Gary Cooper. And uh it says that Gary Cooper's looking out and uh, there's a little balloon around his head and it says, Gary Cooper says, quote, It's common sense for me to prefer Lucky What Gary says. And uh his his statement on the back says, and we quote, A little over a year ago I changed Lucky's because I enjoyed their flavor. Ever since, my throat has been in fine shape. As a throat means so much in my business, it's common sense for me to prefer this light smoke. So I'm strong for luckies. Gary Cooper. And underneath it, it says, Star of the Paramount picture, Souls at Sea. (laughs) That's why he's got a sailor's cap on. Apparently, that's taken from his movie. Souls at Sea. Did you ever hear of that picture? That's completely... I I never heard of it. But uh, apparently... And... And uh, their, their comment goes around, uh, you know, continues. It says, uh, uh, a light smoke. And underneath it it says, uh, it's toasted. Now, uh, then underneath it, underneath all of that, it says, Lucky Strike, the sponsors of your hit parade. Now, that's a bit of uh, trivia. And uh, I, have, I have a, I have a, a vague memory of a, of a guy doing... Give me just the slightest echo chamber. Here we go. Uh, you remember that? Oh, that's a bit of trivia. And that was always on the hip rate, yeah. No, uh, he used to say... Uh, there was another guy that used to do that kind of stuff. And I remember all the time, it was always coming out of the radio, there would be this voice... Call for Philip
0: Morris. Go for Philip Morris.
2: And the voice would say, "Yes, Johnny the." <laughs> and that was that was this little guy with the with the bellboy's cap and stuff on yeah? Now that's true trivia. And then uh, and then there was also this this voice that would come on and say, uh, "Again, just a little echo, Jim. So round, oh, so oh, firm, oh, so oh, fully oh, packed." Oh, what cigarette was that? That's right. Uh, that, was, that was lucky, too. So round, so firm, so fully packed. Now, uh, these, the, the whole idea, you know, all this stuff is... is uh, <laughs> that's real trivia, man. Uh, I wonder if right now, tonight, somewhere, in some Valhalla of disappeared trivia, the Marlboro Man is riding in the rain wearing his poncho. With his, uh, with his tattoo. Remember the tattoo he always wore. What was the tattoo of? Come on, that's right. And and, and, and uh, Now that when you talk that's not how many months. Not not long. Those commercials have been off television. And the music would come on. Da 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 somewhere in Marlboro country tonight, a Marlboro man sits and he's, he's in the rain and he's, he's, he's uh, heating up his coffee over what looks like an open fire. And these two cowboys are squatting down in the rain with their ponchos. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, where men are men. Marlboro Country. You know another great country that I kind of miss. Uh, how many of you miss Thunderbird Country? You remember Thunderbird Country? Oh yeah, another great country. What is it? That went Snap, crackle, pop. Snap, crackle, pop. That is correct. Wheaties. <laughs> Woo! Raised the flank for Hudson High Boy, known throughout the land. Ever challenged me champion? Right? Well, now, uh, what was toasted? What is it that had not a cough and a carload? What contained apple honey? In fact, uh, there were even some records about that one. Woody Herman made a disc called Apple Honey that was a takeoff on that. I mean, you know, you guys think you know something. You know, I just, there's no way, no way.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger,
2: McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it.